Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Today's buzz, oh, this is a big one, fighting fraud. Are you? Are you still? Hmm, let's get started. As hard as you work to implement effective anti-fraud processes, guess what? There are greedy, savvy, dedicated, persistent fraudsters. I have so many more adjectives, and they're working harder and maybe even smarter than you are, to thwart you at every turn. Well, predictive analytics technology may be the answer. It can help you understand the emerging fraud patterns. Those are the ones just starting to come down the pike, peeking up over the horizon, and adapt against new types of attacks. But as good as the tools are, they're only good if you know how to use them. And there's even a bigger question. What will it take for your company's leadership to make predictive a priority. The experts speak. I've got a great panel. They're all veterans of SAP Coffee Break Radio. Delighted to have them back. Let's kick off with Derek Snadeff. He's a senior manager in advanced analytics with Deloitte Transactions and Business Analytics. And Derek sent me a quote from Plato. I think this is Plato's first appearance on SAP Radio. And the quote is as follows. The beginning is the most important part of the work. Welcome, Derek. How are you? Doing great, Bonnie. Thanks again for the invite. Thank you for coming back. Talk to me. Interesting quote. Yeah. So, you know, Bonnie, I was thinking on our previous shows together, we had covered the challenge that fraud poses and also discussed potential enterprise fraud management and continuous monitoring solutions. And I was thinking that for today, um, for our listeners that might be interested in establishing a capability um, to detect and prevent fraud for the organization, you know, it might be good to share a few tips on, on beginning the work. And so I just wanted to share a couple of uh, thoughts around this to kick things off. Um, first, you know, I, I always recommend that clients focus on a, a pilot, iterate, and scale type of approach. Um, so start small, you know, pilot an initial capability uh, where you maybe select a single process, a function, a geography where you've got um, some concern about uh, fraud exposure. Um, and then you can prioritize a few different analytic approaches, some different visualizations. But the goal is to try to obtain some quick hits. And, and in some cases, mm-hmm. what can happen then is the pilot can actually help fund and build support for future efforts as you move to iterate and scale out the approach. Um, second, Derek, I, would, go, I, I just want to ask you, yeah. it's good to say the beginning is the most important part, but going back to my question in the opening, what does it take to convince the leadership of a small, medium, large company that they have to do this at all? What is What kind of battle are we facing where they say, eh, all right, we put it up on our balance sheet, we say losses, and we're used to it. How bad could it be? Or we're never going to tackle this sucker. It's a way of life in corporate world. Uh, what, what's your thought on that before we continue? Sure. Yeah, so so a couple things. I mean, one is the pilot is, is kind of a nice way to demonstrate the value and show them what the benefits can be of a, uh, an enterprise fraud management or continuous mon- monitoring solution. If you're able to show them that for a pilot where you just focus on a small portion of their business that you're able to you know, help prevent X amount of fraud from occurring, that usually can be very convincing. But, you know, the way that we typically help kind of nudge executives over the top to even begin the pilot is just sharing some case studies with, uh, you know, to demonstrate some of the successes we've had with other clients 
um, mm-hmm. you because know, often that's a you know a thought. Well, you know, why should I jump in? Why should I try to do something about this? Um, you know, I don't think it's that big a problem. Um, but then when you start citing some of the statistics just throughout the industry, you know, um, and then also kind of can present some case studies to them to show them what the benefits really can be. Um, usually, you know, they're interested in then taking that next step to do a small pilot study to, to see how it works for their organization. Okay. Derek, thank you very much. It's a good start to our topic. Appreciate that. And I want to thank you for bringing Plato along with you today. Very appreciated. Uh, Michael P. Kanjemi is next up on the panel. Michael is also a return guest. He is the founder, owner, CEO, and everything at Kanjemi Company. He's a CPA, a CGMA, an author, and a business advisor. And my goodness, his quote is from none other than former general and the late 34th U.S. President Dwight D. Eisenhower. I remember the Eisenhower era. Uh, Michael, and here's the quote, the uninspected inevitably deteriorates. Now, I noticed you inserted the word inevitably. It wasn't in the original quote. Michael Kanjemi, welcome back. How are you today? I'm terrific, Bonnie, and thank you very much for having me back again. Wonderful. Um, Talk to me. Yes. My my career started in the uh, assurance or auditing area. I was an IT auditor early in my career, and I started to use this quote, um, way back then and have been using it ever since. Um, when I went to look it up, the word inevitably wasn't there. I had always mm-hmm. used it. I mean, it's implied in the quote, so I kind of like it with the word inevitably mm-hmm. in there. It helps to explain it a little bit more quickly. And the reason for, um, for inserting this into our conversation today is because it sort of points out the need to be doing something. I mean, to uh, Derek's point, it's, uh, we're, we're discussing how hard it is sometimes to engage management and get them interested in, in this. And as you said, Bonnie, you know, sometimes they just say, well, we'll accept the fraud, which you know, is obviously not a good idea in my opinion. Mm, nope. um, and so I think this simple quote, you know, kind of says it all. If you, you know, if you don't do anything, things are going to just get worse and worse and worse. So you need to have a, a proactive uh, approach to it. I always like the military uh, viewpoint because, you know, they're living in a life-and-death situation. Uh, so maybe if some management wants to live with the fact they'll have some fraud, which, uh, would, which we don't agree with, uh, they, might, um, they might be more concerned about if it was going to be in a military situation. And, and also, I think um, Dwight D. Eisenhower, or Ike, I remember that election. Mm-hmm. I, I like Ike. I remember? Like Ike. I like Ike. Remember the buttons? Um, yes. I wasn't old enough to vote. Uh, Neither was I. Neither was I. I just remember it. That's all. (laughs) As I was thinking about this today, I was thinking about how much he would have liked to, or the whole military would have liked more predictive analytics, right? I mean, they were trying Mm -hmm. to guess all the time, and everybody was trying to guess back. Um, So we really have a lot of great tools today, and, uh, you know, I love this, this show because we get to talk about them. Oh, good. Well, thank you very much, and it's an honor to have uh, Ike Eisenhower on the show with us as well. I'm, I'm very intrigued with the second word in that quote, Michael, just briefly, the uninspected. Uh, if you don't look at it, it could be unraveling before your very eyes, even though your eyes are not focusing on it, and that's very pertinent to what we're going to be talking about in the roundtable on fraud. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Yep. Okay. Uh, what is the other phrase? Um, 
bliss, ignorance is bliss. Well, we used to say that, but it, it certainly isn't bliss in this case. Okay, let's turn to our third panelist. It's Jerome Pounier. He's a director of solution marketing for SAP GRC Solutions. And this is an interesting quote, another first for us here on SAP Radio. It's from a blog on Airbnb, and I'll let Jerome explain for those of you who've been living under a rock for the last few years what Airbnb is. And here's the quote. Fraudulent actors often exhibit repetitive patterns. As we recognize these, we can apply heuristics to predict when they're about to occur again and help stop them. But for complex, evolving fraud vectors, we turn to machine learning. That's a mouthful. Jerome Pounier, welcome back. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's I wanted to start with a little anecdote because I think it's quite typical of, of an ever more connected world and, and these new models that develop so much now of business like Airbnb is an example and there's lots of, of those like you know people now rent their cars you can go to those community sites and, and they help you rent your car and and carpooling and all these things so they all these and these uh, uh, new models and new community uh, types of business, it's ever more important to have the trust. So obviously, they are very, um, um, you know, keen on on making sure that there's no fraud going on, and and and, and you as a customer, as a user, obviously want to be sure that if you're going to rent your uh, your house or your flat for a few days to a complete stranger from the other part of the world, um, you know, you can be um, uh, safe enough to, to do it and you're not going to find out that your house when you come back is, is, is a wreck or is completely, uh, has been uh, robbed or whatever. So it's all, it's all on, on trust. So companies obviously like BN, Airbnb, I found out as I was trying to use it for myself for a holiday, uh, have this area where they have all these discussions and blogs and they call it the Airbnb nerds corner, interestingly. Uh, and that's where I saw this uh, discussion and this, and I extracted that quote. Uh, so obviously they are very interested in those types of technology to help them uh, detect, you know, uh, suspicious behaviors, um, you know, track people that may not play the, the fair, play by the rules, and sort mm-hmm. of protect their, their users. Um, and, and it's interesting that they talk about how technology uh, can help to, because it also uh, gets smarter. So machine learning is the whole concept of, and I think it's completely related to predictive analytics here, because uh, predictive analytics is also about using, uh, about understanding better fraud patterns and and getting smarter. Mm -hmm. So we learn from experience. And just as the users themselves, you know, when they um, go and investigate fraud, they become more and more savvy, they have more experience, they they can see some situations that are uh, prone to fraud uh, with more with better intuitions. Well, similarly, technology help also by getting smarter and learning from uh, from history, from the past, uh, to detect uh, those more hidden um, uh, fraud situations and fraud patterns. And I think this whole concept of machine learning, which is getting really interesting, uh, as it applies in particular to uh, helping with fraud. Thank you, Jerome. I'm, I'm looking at your quote and Michael's and Derek's, and I want to tie some things together here. In your quote, you say, as we recognize these patterns, repetitive patterns, and we're going to be talking about recognizing patterns. As we recognize these goes back to Michael's quote from Dwight Eisenhower, the uninspected inevitably deteriorates. Recognizing them means you have to pay attention to them. And, of course, with Derek Snadoff at Deloitte, it's the beginning is the most important part. You have to pay attention. I think we've circled all the way around the 
the wagons there and everybody is, is on board, all of the quotes linked together, which is wonderful. Now I have a very difficult question for you, and I couldn't have predicted this if I tried. What's in your cup today? What are you drinking right now on the show, or what do you wish you were drinking? Let's go back to Derek Snadoff. Derek, what's in the cup today? You know, what I wish I was drinking would be an Arnold Palmer. Um, that's one of my, you know, that classic cocktail of uh, lemonade and iced tea. That's one of my favorite drinks. And I think it's because I love to play golf so much. Um, I, I played 54 holes, actually, a couple weekends back. And this drink just always reminds me of being out on the course. So I don't happen to have one right now, but I often do when I'm either playing or, or just after a round of golf. So um, that would be my wish. good. Uh, that's stamina. Wow, that's that's fifty four. That's a very impressive. And how did you do? You're going to tell us your handicap, or you're not going to announce it this public? It's just among the four of us. Just the I'm four of us I'm are listening. Put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderfully said. Wonderfully said. And we'll we'll talk about predicting your score at another show. Michael P. Can Jemmy, what are you drinking today? Well, on this beautiful sunny morning in New Jersey, I'm having a cup of um, Folgers hazelnut coffee. But listening to uh, Derek reminds me of my weekends when I mix a little vodka into that Arnold Palmer. It makes it even better, but you can't play 54 holes golf after drinking it. I don't think he meant, Derek, that you sounded like you had the vodka right now. I'm sure he didn't mean that, but it sounds like it'd be a good combination. Thank you, Michael. Yeah. I didn't I didn't know that uh, Folgers was that creative. I'm glad they have hazelnut. And Jerome Pounier, what are you drinking? Well, a little bit as an exception today because I have, still have a long day ahead of me. I'm having a double espresso, um, black, no milk, no sugar. The real Sounds <laughs> the real deal. I call that high test. Yes, absolutely. And I'm drinking water because that's all they'll let me drink. No caffeine for me on show days. <laughs> Our topic today is fighting fraud, predictive technology to the rescue. And I put a question mark after that because we're going to find out if the answer is yes or no. And this is part three. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio presented by SAP. If you're keeping track, this is live episode number 148. Today is Wednesday, August 27, 2014. But who's counting? I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Very happy to be here with my esteemed panelists. Very, very smart. Derek Snadoff, Michael P. Kanjemi, and Jerome Pounier. We'll be right back after the break with our 30-minute roundtable nonstop, taking a deep dive into fighting fraud. What is fraud like today, and what does predictive have to do with it? Is that the answer? And if it is, what can you do about it to protect your company? Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network
You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. And we're back, and our topic today is a very critical one for, I think, every company of every size, every footprint, every uh, every maturity, every part of the world, every industry fighting fraud, predictive technology to the rescue. This is such a compelling topic. I've invited our guests from last, last time back, and this is part three. I'm talking today with Derek Snadoff at Deloitte, Michael P. Kanjemi of Kanjemi Company, and Jerome Pounier at SAP GRC Solutions. Let's kick off our 30-minute nonstop roundtable, or thereabouts with Derek. And Derek, you started talking when you introduced your quote from Plato, the beginning is the most important part of the work, and we all agreed. Uh, you talked about getting started at the start. So you have some other ideas you want to share with us, and then we will invite Michael and Jerome to chime in. So talk to me, Derek. Let's get started. Sure. Yeah, a couple other um, upfront considerations for listeners that might be thinking about establishing this capability. Um, I usually find that it's best to start with more of a managed analytics approach. Um, so, you know, as we've been discussing, you know, enterprise fraud management, continuous monitoring, uh, they require predictive analytics and visualizations. And unless your organization already has some of the necessary tools and analytic workbenches, you know, like an SAP, a SAS, an IBM SPSS, um, you know, it can actually be a good idea to start out by leveraging someone else's infrastructure uh, to pilot the initial capability. And then from there, you can determine if you want to, you know, purchase the software yourself or transition the capability to be more in-house. And then, mm-hmm. and then another point I would mention, too, is that, you know, it's also important to kind of think a little bit longer term about your enterprise fraud management and continuous monitoring solution and build out a roadmap that says, okay, once we're finished up with the pilot, you know, do we want to bring in more analytics or visualizations? Uh, do we want to expand into other processes, functions, or geographies? Uh, or to the previous point, do we want to use managed analytics uh, for the time being or start to bring the capability in-house? Um, but it's important to recognize that this really is a capability that you're establishing. Um, so mm-hmm. it's not just analytics or a tool. Um, you know, it's not a backroom operation. It, it's really um, something that needs to be operationalized within the business process, and you really need a plan for that. Um, but the, you know, the continuous monitoring can occur either on a real-time basis. Um, you know, there, in some applications, that makes sense to do. Um, but in a lot of others, it can just be periodic bat- batches as long as that solves the business issue. Um, but so I, I think those are a couple other important points, you know, kind of starting with a managed analytics approach and also building out a roadmap that can take you from the pilot um, beyond. Thank you, Derek. I want to bring in Michael Kanjemi. Michael, do you have any uh, case studies you want to bring in on following on what Derek introduced as this managed approach? Well, actually, yes. I mean, that, that's obviously those are, those are brilliant observations. And um, it, it reminds me that in our research project at um, Financial Executives on the uh, benefits of continuous monitoring, how many hurdles there were to getting people started, um, and the idea of doing a pilot and doing a proof of, uh, of, of, of value is, is certainly a good one. Um, the, the last time I think I spoke a little bit about the use of the cloud now, where uh, at least one mm-hmm. company uh, I know, um, Oversight Systems, is actually switching to where they uh, will do a, a free proof of concept um, via the cloud. Uh, you can they get some data, um, run it through their analytics programs, and provide some insights uh, right away. So that basically for free, you're getting to see what 
the benefits can be of analytics. And, and as, um, uh, as, Jerome, as uh, Derek said, then they build on that. So eventually you keep adding new, newer modules, and they sort of get the taste of doing the analytics, predictive analytics work, and then and go from there. So it's certainly a good uh, approach. I, I wanted to introduce a different concept of um, uh, basically combining monitoring from different sources, and that's the okay. example I think you're referring to. Mm-hmm. Um, let me start with the simpler ones. For years, I've been seeing that companies will use um, uh, matching of like uh, credit card charges from the credit card company's data with the with the company's um, you know submitted T and E. What uh, what what got me real interested was this Queensland health example in Australia, where mm-hmm. after they had a fraud, well, wake up management and then do something with you know sort of yep. apropos to what we talked about earlier. They um, they started to every day compare their vendor ma- vendor files uh, to files that exist at the Australian Securities and Investment Commission. So basically, verifying they are real companies, um, and they deployed uh, something called Caseware Monitor to uh, to process overnight every night uh, comparisons and find uh, if they potentially had some kind of uh, fraud going on. I guess. That's a super reaction to having a typical vendor-based, you know, uh, financial fraud. Michael, what kind of what was the case of fraud that made the management of Queensland Health in Australia sit up and take notice? What was it that was the breaking point? It's the one we read about all the time. It's the one where someone in the company who has some kind of authorization process sets up a phony vendor and then processes invoices that he can then approve and pay the vendor. The very basic, simple one. Uh, there's an article in the AICPA Journal of Accountancy this month about a major fraud somebody did just like that at an insurance company and got away with, you know, he he, he wrote the article from jail, so he did eventually get caught. Uh, but <laughs> okay. he had so much money that, you know, it was like odd for him to be driving to work in a Rolls Royce. That's not, that's not a real example, but he had multiple cars and uh, all kinds of uh, lifestyle changes that eventually got him caught, and that's how far it went. Well, thank you very much. Good example, and let's bring Jerome Pugnier at SAP into the conversation. Jerome, talk to me about what Derek introduced, the idea of starting with a proof of concept and talking about uh, some of the examples Michael gave. What are your thoughts on where do you start? Yeah, I think my co-panelist said it all almost. What I would just add uh, is because uh, Michael was talking about the, the cloud technology. It's particularly interesting nowadays because you know, traditionally when, when um, we talk to customers and they want to test technologies, we, we all often have these um, things that we do, and obviously uh, quite of, often with our friends of Deloitte doing a proof of concept. And traditionally you would go to the customer, install maybe on their premises some test environment so they can test. We have to send consultants there. And it's, it's kind of uh, a little bit heavy and, and costly and all that. And, and it's really great now with the, the development of the cloud technology that become also much more secure and all that. And all these technologies of, of you know, fraud detection, predictive analytics are all available in the cloud. So they can be very eas- much more easily tested by the customer. They just need to probably uh, submit uh, some taste data so that they can really visualize the result with their own uh, transaction of how we could you know, use technology to detect frauds and, and predictive analytics. So they can see results very quickly because mm-hmm. um, everything else is being taken care of as it's, it's hosted in the cloud. You know, it's much easier. They don't have to worry about any technical 
Uh, they don't have to provide some uh, internal support or technicians to install the product uh, on their premises or anything like that. With, I mean, you know, providers can take care of everything for them. They just need to connect to a website, and then they can, uh, you know, test the data, see the results, see the value, you know, and then they can show it to uh, the decision maker to, to help convince them. So it's, it can go much faster. We, you know, we could have much, you know, faster decision cycles there. I think that's the whole uh, benefit and importance of, of, of leveraging those, those cloud uh, technologies. Thank you, Jerome. I want to ask Derek, you have anything you want to wrap up on this thread before I start going in a slightly different direction since you started this one? Derek? No, that's okay, Bonnie. Okay. <laughs> All right, that's fine. Thank you. I it threw me over the hood there for a second. I want to turn to Michael P. Ken Jemmy. Michael, I want to talk about one of your talking points you sent me before the show that relates back to my opening. I'll read it and then you can comment. CFOs and financial professionals know about data analytics, but what is their frame of reference and their level of engagement? I want to dig a little deeper into this, Michael, if you would lead us off on this. Is What does it take? Does it take that huge, costly OM? MG headline making embarrassing act of fraud that brings everybody to their knees and stops the world for a company uh, to to make the executives to make the management the lead team look and listen and stop and say whoa we got to do something or is it a smaller a set of smaller incidents or could it be that they heard what's happening to their competitors and they look in the mirror and say ah not in my not in my watch, not going to happen here. What is it that motivates them to up their level of engagement? Michael, want to start this? Yeah, sure. Well, certainly, um, you know, if there is some kind of a problem, that, that's, you know, that's a motivator and also uh, clears the decks. First, let me, let me defend financial executives a little bit. They're busy people, and they're pro- they have a process job. The financial statements have to come out. The you know reports have to be verified, and they have to produce accurate numbers. That's the main part of their job. So, um, what I'm seeing as a trend is in some companies uh, they are starting to um, put someone into that organization that looks at how to use uh, systems like uh, continuous monitoring, predictive analytics, um, in smarter ways. And um, I think um, the the frame of reference that I was talking about was that they tend to think about analytics um, as um, sort of from the insur- assurance uh, point of view, so sort of something auditors do or people in GRC now in compliance departments do, and really not uh, part of the business. And, and that's the part where I think they really fall down. Um, I, I, I think I referenced the CIO article that said mm-hmm. cashing in on analytics, CIO magazine. And one of the quotes, if, if I had my quotes to do again, I mm-hmm. love is that they say analytics is a cross between art and science. And, uh, and that's exactly right, because, you know, a, accounting people and financial people tend to do the science of the business of finance. Uh, the art part would be how do you do it smarter? And that's what, what you know, this show talks about. Um, well, as you were talking about, do they uh, kick into high gear after a fraud, mm-hmm. or sometimes they develop it themselves, the two things uh, that we've talked about. I was thinking a nicer would be if they listened into this show and then went back and motivated themselves a little bit by it and, uh, and started to do uh, a little bit more analytical work. Thank you, Michael. Jerome, you want to chime in on this one? What's the precipitating event? What is it that sets them off? And, and if you could reference smaller companies, what kind of fraud would set them on their ear and say, wait a minute, we got to do something? What would it be? Well, I think I would relate to what I was saying earlier about trust. You know, if you, it's, it's, 
for me, as I see it, fraud is, is, is really a big part of risk management. I mean, companies have to manage their risks. And, and, and obviously, uh, this is really important to keep trust in the business. And that's only, not only the trust of their customers, but also the trust of uh, their um, you know, investors, for example. So it, it's very crucial. And, and uh, uh, you know, it's, it's especially with, with all these, these environments that are so connected and everything. So everything goes so fast. I think um, 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 the, the technology really now allows to, as Michael was, I think, saying, um, plug it much more into the business. You know, this, this, this capability to detect fraud uh, much faster, almost as, the, as it happens, you know, because we can look at things that happen happening in the past. I was talking earlier about the repetitive patterns, you know, so we may actually uh, have technology um, intervening really real time, monitoring real time, and detecting that something that has been seen before, that is, that is known and, 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 and um, mapped into the system already uh, as a potential fraud pattern is, is, is beginning to happen. So you can stop transactions very quickly um, and send an alert. Uh, I think there's, there's really those, those possibilities available now so that um, um, you know, there's really no reason or no excuse almost to not you know, use that uh, and, and ensure uh, that um, that the risk is managed, is mitigated, uh, and then you can uh, ensure this trust that gets the business. And keeps Good word. I like the word trust. That's what we're trying to figure out is who, the, anybody old enough to remember Johnny Carson had a game show, and it was called Who Do You Trust? And I think they made him change it to Whom Do You Trust? Michael, do you remember that? I do not. Oh, 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 I'm out on a limb all by myself. It's lonely out here. Derek, you, I want to circle back to you in, in this conversation we were having that Michael started and Jerome chimed in. Thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think it really is a situation where when this personally affects you as an organization or, or perhaps a, a peer organization, that's when you really stand up and take notice. And um, that definitely is a big motivator, as Michael said. Um, but I think the you know, conversation we try to have with clients, though, is that, you know, you know there is going to be a fraud um, occurred in your organization. You just don't know when or how big it's going to be. But because of the kind of the first point that we talked about, the ability to use, you know, soft like analytics as a service, cloud solutions, managed analytics, uh, whatever term you want to use for it, um, that ability to come in with kind of a light footprint solution um, to start establishing a capability for fraud detection um, really can be a compelling one and also one that provides, you know, in a lot of cases, significant return on investment. Um, so, you know, oftentimes that argument can be successful when they realize, okay, we're not talking about a big, expensive, time-consuming system mm -hmm. to stand up. Um, you know, there's something we can do more quickly and, and start to see benefit more quickly. Derek, I have a question I'm going to ask you and then to trickle down to the whole panel before we get to some of Jerome's talking points. My question is, once you start to see that you either are undergoing or enduring or taking the hit of various types of fraud at various levels, and the organization says, yes, this is important, yes, we need to invest something in a solution, and predictive is looking pretty good right now, do you tell your employees, do you make it known, hey, guys and girls, we're watching. We're detecting. Don't even try it. And would that be would that make the risk takers risk averse, so that the fraud cuts back on an organic level? Is such a thing like that going to happen, or will people, the bad guys, the bad girls, say, "Ooh, now they're taking it seriously. Let's see if we can beat the analytics." What's your experience, Derek? And then I'll ask Michael and Jerome. Talk to me. 
So it's a very interesting question, and it's um, kind of a strategic thing that we often balance with our clients um, Mm -hmm. because, yes, you you do want to take advantage of the deterrent effect, but oftentimes when you're initially starting up the fraud detection capability, um, you know, you're going to be going back historically and trying to see if there was some fraud perpetrated in, you know, in the past. And so sometimes it makes sense actually to kind of collect up all the, you know, say buyers or vendors that were engaged in suspicious activity and then almost like as kind of like a big bang go out and, and um, you know, kind of follow up on those particular suspicious cases. Because, um, you know, once you, like once word, as you mentioned, gets out that, hey, you know, we're being watched, you know, they, they're bringing in predictive analytics to look for fraud, um, you know, then sometimes people can try to, you know, so to speak, clean up the paper trail. Mm-hmm. Um, so, from, you know, so sometimes that, that's kind of a, a decision that, you know, we balance out with the client, you know, do they want to, um, just get the benefit of the deterrence as quickly as possible, or do they want to make sure they can build solid cases for um, maybe, you know, shenanigans that happened in the past? I like the word shenanigans. That makes it a little more fun. Michael P. Kanjemi, I have to mention that you're president and CEO of FEI Financial Executives International. What's on their minds in terms of the question I asked, Michael? Do they broadcast it loudly or lightly internally and to their vendors and their consultants? Hey, we've it's like putting a uh, on your front door. We have uh, detection devices on our windows now. Don't even think of breaking into my house. Is this something you see, Michael? Do you have any case studies you want to share on? This? Well, you know, over my 40-year career, which involved a lot of work in the insurance area, if I had to pick between yes and no, I would say yes. I, you know, we would let people know. But I think uh, Derek gave a better, longer answer by saying that sometimes you don't um, let people know immediately uh, mm. because you want to sort of get a couple of laps around the track where you learn uh, before, you know, uh, maybe they run for the hills. Um, so... Uh, I, I would say the answer is yes. It's, uh, I mean, typically, when I was even when I was chief auditor at uh, a Fortune 500 company for four years, you know, my job wasn't to catch people. My job was to improve the system of internal control. That's the way I looked at it, and that would that would argue towards you know letting people be aware of of new control factors that would be be a better deterrent. Um, however, it's always good to find out new techniques that are being used against you. So. Uh, that's why it's a yes or a no. Okay, thank you very much. That's a good fence to be on. Jerome Pounier, what are your thoughts? Tell the people, don't tell the people. What do you think? Um, yeah, well, I understand the discussion, and I think it's really a decision with um, you know the customer, if you are a consultant that you're talking to, or even the vendor, um, you know how they want to do things, um, and probably also related to their culture, uh, which is always different. You know, in some companies, it would make more sense to um, to be very much on, into deterrence and and you know tell you know like show the, the, the dog is there and, you know, you, you better be careful because, you know, like putting the signs out of the house saying uh, there is a, you know, a dog there watching and <laughs> he's, he's a very mean dog, so don't even try. Mm-hmm. But sometimes uh, in other organization, it, it can, you know, not be the, the right, the right situation. So we agree with that. I think it's really related to the, the decision of the customer, their culture, their, their organization. But I want to add a bit of another angle as well. I think yes. 
uh, one thing that is also important as we, we talk about technologies and helping and detecting and deterring and all that, but also making sure we can always associate the people and I think, you know, integrate the whistleblower role because, um, you know, showing, I think the way, um, in this way, I mean, showing people that they can also help, you know, that we're preventing fraud um, for everyone's good because they are interested, I mean, honest people are interested in the, in the sake of their company. They want the company to be successful because they want to keep their job. So they will, they will, you know, they must have ways to provide information if they see something that may be suspicious, um, um, document it, um, send it to someone that they know can take care of it. Um, that will also obviously be able to make the system able to detect those uh, situations in the future if it's not been detected by the systems already. Uh, I mean, the human role is always so important. And, and, and again, talking back about these new um, community sites and new ways of, of doing business, um, I've actually noticed that all these uh, sites like Airbnb, again, if I take that example, uh, mm -hmm. do have that possibility to see if you see something suspicious, tell us. So if you've been a victim of a fraud, uh, let us know so that we can uh, learn from it and, and protect uh, you in the future. So I think this is really also very important to keep that, uh, that door open. Thank you very much, Jerome. And now it's actually time for me to look at Jerome's talking points you sent me before the show. And I want to, so I'm going to keep you, keep you on your toes here for a couple more minutes and then we'll have Michael and Derek chime in. Uh, Jerome, you talk about machine learning, your reference to technology tools and the predictive analytics. And you say it's important to keep in mind that these very sophisticated technologies remain a tool at the service of the user. And then here's what I want to talk about. You add, it's important to remain approachable not just reserve these for a small elite of super data scientists. So who should be using these? Let's talk about the question of we've established that you're going to need them eventually, sooner or later, that it may not be a huge investment, but it's going to pay off. It's going to help you down the road and maybe looking back over your shoulder uh, on the history of people cleaning stuff up and you're going to catch them in the process. But who should be using it? What part of the company should be using it? And why do you say it's not just for a small elite? Yeah, well, because this is obviously one of the things that that, that is heard often when when you talk about predictive um, analytics to um, companies. You know, would you use that? And there's often something that is an, an issue or a challenge for them is to say, oh yes, but we will need to have those uh, very um, you know savvy data scientists. Um, these resources are very hard to find. They're very few of them on the market. They're very expensive because it's on, in hot demand. Um, and it's true that a lot of the um, technologies available nowadays uh, are quite complex to use and may still be quite complex to use and require um, people that are very experienced and, and specialized like data scientists. But as things go, um, to overcome these challenges, I think also the technologies are evolving to be much more approachable by people that still are in the business of fraud, but are not necessarily um, uh, technicians, not necessarily people that have a degree in mathematics, uh, uh, a PhD or anything, and then and the full comprehensive training as a data scientist. They must be able, because they, these people are also the ones that understand the business and understand um, uh, you know, what's going on in, in the fraudster's mind. Maybe they 
they have been uh, working on fraud cases. Uh, so they have that, that experience uh, that maybe a data scientist who is a pure mathematician may not understand so well. Uh, well, if they can work as a team, that's fine, but sometimes um, you, know, you can't really afford that. So if you can really provide um, predictive analytics tools that are uh, usable um, by mm-hmm. um, you know, use business users, um, fraud specialists, but on the business side, um, that speak their common language that, you know, will, um, where they can do some, it's not really programming, but we'll be able to, um, to build some, some, um, some detection paths that, you know, we're using um, common languages and, and terms that they're familiar with, um, maybe some conditional logic, but easy to use, um, then obviously that will uh, overcome the challenge of, 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 you know, and making those technology much more approachable and much more usable. Thank you. Derek Snaduff at Deloitte, thoughts on this? Where should the the technology reside? Do we want it elite? Do you want it uh, in general? Do you want everybody to say, I can be part of stopping fraud in this company, I have a role in it? Or maybe not everybody, but certainly a, a broader base than just two or three people. What's your thought on that, Derek? Yeah, I mean, certainly a, a broader base is better, and, and I agree with Jerome mm-hmm. that you, know, you want a combination of uh, business or domain knowledge along with um, you know, the data scientists expertise. I guess in, in my view, I don't think that you can totally eliminate the data scientist from the process. I mean, I think the, the tools are evolving in such a way that, you know, a lot of the, the kind of the busy um, analytics work, you know, the programming, um, that those are much more automated and user-friendly. Um, but I, I, I do think, though, you know, and, and while that'll permit many more kind of business users to use the tools, uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it probably would... Um, result in maybe not needing quite as much of a data scientist presence, but I still think you need some just to really get the, the maximum benefit out of the predictive analytics. It, you know, I think it's hard to know how to you know, configure models, how to interpret the results, and try to help the model self-learn and, and improve without you know, some data scientist background. Um, but I do think if, if the tools can help business users do a lot more of the process, and then you can focus the data scientists maybe in a smaller capacity on some kind of high-value things, um, that may be the best overall solution. Thank you. Michael, can well, Jimmy? Can I, can I add something to this also? Because Oh, yes. Go ahead, Jerome. Yes, yeah, those data scientists uh, resources might, might be actually shared. You know, more and more people you know, do that. You may actually call a consultant who is a specialist and works freelance. And, but sometimes, you know, when you, on a day-to-day basis, I mean, once they've really helped with kicking up the process, uh, you don't want to have to call them every time. So at least the users can do a number of things themselves um, and not mm-hmm. having to call the data centers. And they may at some point still call him back to, um, you know, get those more complex uh, types of frauds um, and tackle those small types of fraud that they still cannot, you know, tackle themselves. Thank you. Michael, yes. thoughts? <clears throat> yes, with, well, obviously with, with the uh, um, expansion of the use of analytics, there's going to be more room for data scientists. Uh, I went to an SAP business intelligence and analytics conference about a year and a half ago, and I, that's when I found thousands of data scientists. Everybody, this mm-hmm. is a new buzz term for me in the last two or three years. And, and I guess I would have to agree with Jerome that, that it's probably best being a shared resource. Um, but earlier in this conversation, we were talking about how to um, get people interested in, in doing additional, um, um, using uh, analytics and levering up in analytics. And, it, um, and we're talking about fraud a lot and, and uh, assurance space. I, I think that um, predictive analytics really started in marketing. 
um, at the same time, probably that we were using it in audit and starting to do continuous monitoring, and now we're trying to you know address fraud with it. So the the business people poke in and out uh, if they're aware of it, uh, and certainly if they need it uh, to run their business. I mean, I was in the shoe business; we had to predict how many mm-hmm. size sevens we should order versus size twelves, mm-hmm. and we used history. And you know, you tried to do. Um, basic, well, we didn't really use any of these tools that we're talking about today, but, you know, you have to make some types of predictions in your, in your work. Of course, inventory predictions. That was when you were at Etienne Agnier. We talked about that last time, one of my favorite brands, just beautiful. Uh, Michael, I want to take you in another direction for exactly two minutes before we take a break. I'm looking at one talking point we didn't cover here. You say beyond GRC and fraud is a new wave of business performance improvement. Using advanced analytics to create new sources of revenue, improve the customer experience, and increase competitive advantage. What is this all about? you got to give me a two-minute summary on this. What, what What's your thought? Okay, well, certainly fraud and assurance are important elements of a business, but first of all, you have to have a business. So um, if you think about like what Amazon.com does where, you know, I I, uh, search on a book and uh, it has a certain flavor to it, and then they start proposing books to me, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that's probably the classic example of it. I use Federal Express all the time where monitoring is core to their business, you know, where the package is all of the time. And so getting out from just finance or, or GRC and risk and all of that, which is not, I'm not diminishing it as not important, but these tools can be used uh, to improve uh, the business itself. Um, I, I wanted to talk about the contextual analysis a little bit, but I'm not sure how long two minutes takes. Uh, but I have two examples of how you can use this video analytics uh, that I've been starting to follow. One in a fraud case where you might be monitoring an ATM machine and, and then at the same time using the video in a bank branch to actually monitor the customer experience. So if we have time, I'd like to circle back to those two as, as examples of what you're talking well, about. Well, you're circling back right now. Give me one example. I'll give you one extra minute. Go ahead. Okay. So um, we have basically dumb video cameras or video cameras that are that are just taking film that you can go back and look at at some point mm-hmm. in time. And this new venture, this uh, company Solink that I've been following, they are starting to look at um, ATM video feeds to see if when they connect it to the data analytics, uh, they could uh, discover something. So, for example, a person is standing at the ATM and he does five transactions using five different ATM cards. How do they know that? They compare the video. They know that same person is there. Mm-hmm. The data links, five different withdrawals could potentially be fraudulent. They use the same cameras in, the, uh, in, the, in, in a branch to monitor customer activity, what they're doing, how long they're waiting in line, if there's the proper balance of tellers. Same, same things are being applied in retail stores. So analytics, by, by doing um, uh, what they call contextual analysis com- and combining, like we talked about before, two different sources of analytics. So mm-hmm. this is, I sort of tripped into it the last time when I talked about my five-year view. I don't think it's going to take five years anymore. 
We're going to keep that for our predictions, which is coming up right after the break. Thank you so much, Michael. Sorry to rush you. We're going to, I'm going to give you all a break for 90 seconds. That's it. When we come back, we'll start with Derek, then Michael, and then Jerome. I'm going to ask you if we meet again in, let's say, the year 2020, which isn't that far away, or any year you can see in the crystal ball that you own, uh, what would you say about the role of predictive technology in the battle against corporate fraud? So we're going to take a break, just a quick one, and don't even think of going away. Don't touch that dial that mouse that app we'll be right back brad out the business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network the time for enterprise mobility is now according to idc By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are, and it's time for our predictions round. We call it the crystal ball. Let's kick this off with Derek Snadoff at Deloitte. Derek, what do you see? Can you Do you predict predictive will actually be able to effectively fight fraud in companies across the board, every industry, every landscape, every maturity, every part of the world? Uh, or are we still going to be in the trial and error phase, if that's what you can call it, in the year 2020? Well, what's your thought, and how far ahead would you like to take us, Derek? Well, you know, I, I think probably the real answer is going to be somewhere in between, but I think closer to having broad applicability and benefit across a lot of industries and geographies, but, you know, probably not in all cases. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, when I look out, you know, say five years into the future and you're just my thinking on this and drawing on some of the uh, previous conversations we've had as a panel together, you know, I, I do think that most large organizations will have an enterprise fraud management or continuous monitoring capability in place. At, at this point, I would say it's, it's more of a differentiator when you see organizations that do it. But I, I think, you know, four or five years out, it's going to be more table stakes. Um, I, I do think that organizations are going to be more extensively leveraging the data both they have internally but also external data. I think Michael had brought that up a little bit earlier um, today. I, I do think that that's going to be something we see more commonplace a few years out. Um, I, I think on the analytics side um, that – a lot of that work will be performed either in-house via center of excellence, uh, maybe mm-hmm. that's kind of a cross-functional team with some data scientists and business users, um, people from the functional part of the business, um, or even maybe, um, you know, and I think Jerome brought up this point, but, you know, where needed, maybe outsourcing or using on-demand data scientists to come in and help out with certain areas, but having more of the capability in-house. Um, I also think that the tools over time are going to become even more cheaper, 
um, probably maybe even more open sourced and, and mm-hmm. increasingly democratized um, to the point where um, you know more and more users are able to take advantage of the tools because they're just more user friendly and there's more knowledge around um, analytics. And and I think there'll be greater collaboration and sharing across organizations and industries. You know when when you find a particular fraud pattern, you know in one company there's benefit to sharing it with others and in similar companies, and if you can kind of share that information back and forth, you can really strengthen your defenses. Um, So I do think that all of this is going to make it increasingly difficult for the fraudsters, but, you know, knowing them, they're going to continue to try to adapt and evolve and become more sophisticated in their efforts. So I I think this will be an ongoing challenge. Thank you. Very well put, Derek Snadoff. I want to ask you quickly, uh, do you think small companies will be late to the party in terms of getting on board board with fraud prevention and saying, hey, there's only 20 of us, there's only 50 of us, how bad could it be? We don't have a lot of money. Who could be bothering us or how bad could it be? We're not going to bother. Do you think they'll be late and will they see the light eventually, the smaller company, the startups perhaps? Yeah, you know, I I do think that they'll be later adopters of this and, and I think it probably makes sense for them to do that. Um, you know, just like the opportunity for fraud is probably a lot smaller, you know, in a, a company of that size. And, you know, so it may make sense to wait until the tools are cheaper or more open source and, you know, the analytics are a little um, more pervasive, you know. Um, so I, I think I think you'll see certainly the larger companies are going to be more of the early adopters of this. And, in fact, the very, mm-hmm. very early adopters were a lot of them were, you know, the federal government, healthcare organizations, financial services companies. Now I think it's starting to move across um, other industries, but more at the larger corporation level. And then I think, you know, the tail will be it'll start moving into small and and mid-sized businesses and then finally to the kind of the smaller organizations. Thank you very much, Michael P. Kenjemi. Predictions, and you can address my question as well. Go ahead. Two minutes on the dot. I set my timer this time. <laughs> I love this part of the show. And um, um, my, my, the future I see involves um, further use of what I've been t- referring to as contextual analysis using video and audio. So, so my big push would be maybe five years from now we will have verifiable internal controls where using voice patterns, face rec- recognition to verify that things have been done. Um, in, the, in the area of predictive, I think we'll use social media sentiment. Um, you know, maybe it wouldn't help me order exactly the right size shoes for, uh, for my uh, former ATN Anye customers, but maybe it would help me with the colors. <laughs> uh, so I think we'll be mining social media material. Um, and also, lastly, on the SME front, which you keep bringing up appropriately, by the way, I do think the tools will get less expensive. I know someone already said that, and I, I see it happening, and that's how we're going to bring them in. And the three, three things I've almost mentioned, all three of these already, but you, the oversight systems using the cloud with sort of pre, pre-packaged modules. Uh, Caseware has modules on their website. You can download them. They're inexpensive. And uh, in this um, example of video, which I see as emerging, what they're doing there is leveraging the existing camera systems, which are very expensive, and adding more value to what you've already spent uh, to put in the systems. And I did it. Thank you. You did it. Yes, you did. My hero. And Jerome Pounier, I can give you exactly two minutes. Go. Yeah, obviously it's 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 going it's it's only the start, and then it is going to uh, to develop very fast, and 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 very importantly, uh, massively because uh, predictive analytics, and and also as um, we were saying, you know, making it more accessible, cheaper, using the cloud, 
uh, technologies to to allow uh, smaller companies uh, who are actually um, you know we talk to a lot and they're very interested and they they always ask the question I mean if I can use it in the cloud and and not have you know additional costs that make it too difficult um, sort of benefiting from the common experience really and in it's so it, yeah it's not going to go away it's going to it's going to boom it's going to increase it's going to provide um, uh, enormous uh, uh, possibilities in, in better fraud detection, even though we know the fraudsters are also very smart and they will adapt. But um, if you think about you know, this, the, the evolution of business that is ever more connected, ever more virtual, social, communitarian, uh, that's going to, it's, it's really a, a, a terrain that is, that is um, pushing for using this technology uh, a lot and much more, um, you know, because it's not about just detecting. It's, I mean, the scenarios of fraud are so multiple. You know, it's not just, we tend to, to think more about internal fraud and then, you know, some employees doing bad things. It's also about external fraud, you know, having mm-hmm. people that insurance company are, have that issue very much, you know, like people that try to, to cheat to, to get more from the insurance. It's, it's, it's telecom company that have to fight against the, People trying to use uh, mobile networks, uh, uh, trying to use your mobile phone um, um, without your knowing, trying to use um, networks for free, etc. So it's it's all these all the multiple situations. It's companies that you know use a subcontractor who himself use another subcontractor. So you have to go down the whole network of, of, of the business to to because you know as as it gets you know further down and further down, there may be things that you can't see because there's so many uh, intermediate so many layers. Uh, Jerome, I have to say thank you. We're just about out of time. Thank you all. Thank you to Derek Snedef at Deloitte, Michael P. Kinjemi at Kinjemi Company, Jerome Pounier at SAP. Coming up next week, let's see, we've got another brand-new episode of Financial Excellence with Game Changers next Tuesday at 9 a.m. That's the day after U.S. Labor Day and next Wednesday on Coffee Break. We'll be talking about the new age of marketing in the cloud, Part 2. And I have to give you a quick heads-up if I have time here. Uh, Coming in September, we'll be doing HR Trends with Game Changers Season 3 on on Mondays, we'll be doing Financial Excellence with Game Changers Tuesdays, Coffee Break on Wednesdays, and the Customer Edge with Game Changers Wednesdays, Internet of Things with Game Changers Wednesdays, and Thursday we'll be on with Future of Business and Innovating Innovation. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. we got to go. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Thanks to Malcolm for tweeting and Brad and the Business Channel team. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.